0: While well, they make their way to the Children's Church, um, back earlier this winter and spring we looked at about five messages about spiritual gifts and I told you that I would have one last message about the gifts that have ceased and uh, we're going to look at that today. So this will be our finally our last message on spiritual gifts and then probably uh, we'll, we'll go back to uh, the other series we've been going through um, the last few weeks. We'll, we'll start back on one of those next week, Lord willing. Um, but anyway if you 'll if you'll join me in first Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12 there in the in the New Testament and uh, whatever you may or may not remember of those uh, it 's been several months now since we had our last one I think it was in april if i 'm not mistaken or um, maybe a little later than that but anyway we had um, had about five messages about spiritual gifts and the ones that are for today and we talked about those and I encouraged you through reading the scripture and, and uh, asking the lord 's direction and guidance and Um, and some of the principles and things we talked about to uh, seek find out what your spiritual gift is. Every Christian has a gift. The Bible tells us that. And so if you'll look at um, 1 Corinthians 12 with me, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Paul writes to the church there at Corinth, and he mentions also to the church, the Christians in Rome, in Rome chapter 12, Uh, when he writes to the Christians there, that um, he writes to both of them about spiritual gifts, pretty lengthy, especially in 1 Corinthians 12. And um, he writes about spiritual gifts and mentions them. And so today, the ones we're going to spend time in are the ones found mostly in 1 Corinthians 12. But there will be some other references that we'll have. So if you take notes... Uh, this is a perfect opportunity, or if you just want to follow as I read and, and maybe turn in your Bible yourself, but there are several references today as there have been with our other messages about gifts, and so we have a lot of things to look at today. But look with me at verse 12 while we're still there in 1 Corinthians. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So the Bible tells us that When we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, verse verse 13 tells us that we are baptized, that is we are placed into the body of Christ. Again, as I said earlier this year, every time you see the word baptism, don't necessarily think of water, because baptism in the Scripture is not always water. Uh, For the believer, there's what we call believer's baptism, immersion, after you've trusted Christ. You're, when, you, when you've been saved, you are baptized, uh, usually most people are baptized after they're saved and immersed in water. The word baptized means basically to immerse something completely. And so when it says that in verse 13, by one spirit, notice that spirit, nothing to do with water. By one spirit are we all baptized in one body. That is when a person trusts Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes us. That his, he immerses us. He places us in the body of Christ. And because of that, in that context, Paul says because we've been placed in the body of Christ, we're part of His body and it works like a physical body. And for time's sake we won't read the next verses, but you read through there as we did earlier this year. He talks about how just as a body has eyes and ears and hands, all of these are part of the body and important parts of the body. You've got to have all of these um, to function as a body. And so of course, there are times when people don't, but we're, we're talking about the, you know, the, just using the illustration of a body. And so he talks about the importance of all of these parts to the body. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the gifts that have ceased and why. Now, let me preface this as we talk about this. This is not a message <clears throat> to make fun of someone of a certain denomination. You and I probably have, all of us have friends that are that are uh, Pentecostal or Church of God or something like that that still believe these are for today. And you know, they do, whatever. But uh, that's not going to change our friendship. Uh, if, and then you may disagree with what I say today. And that's good and fine, but it won't be because you haven't looked at it in Scripture today. Okay? So we're going to check and see what the Word of God has to say about this. So let's take a t- some time to look at this today. So In looking at 1 Corinthians 12, it lists particularly these four things. And for time's sake, we won't look right now. We'll look at some references in a moment Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll look at some of these. But the Bible lists, uh, it's actually a gift called apostle. And so we're going to look at that today. Are there still apostles today? Uh, Also, it says working of miracles is one of the gifts and then more specifically as a type of miracle is gifts of healing. Notice what it says and what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the gift of healing. Okay. That's vernacular that's been pr- brought into uh, man's way of thinking that God gives someone the gift of healing. It says gifts of of healing, and then tongues and the interpretation of tongues. So we're going to look at this today and talk about that. And so these are what we call sign gifts, and we'll get to the verses about that in just a moment uh, in, in a couple of places of why they're a sign. What is a sign and why are they a sign? A sign in Scripture is for um, a few things. You see the word sign inside the word to signify. When you're signifying someone to a position of something, you're giving them signifying, you're identifying them as authentic. They're signified as being authentic in, in, in uh, somewhere where they're placed. So, as we'll see in the apostles, a sign was given to show that they were authentic. They were the real thing. They were eyewitnesses, as we'll see in a little bit, of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Also, you see in the word signature, the word sign. What, the, what does the word What does a signature do? It represents your authority when you're when you're signing a legal document. If you're buying a house or some legal document, when you write your name, that is the authority given to um, the bank or to the lawyer or whatever. Your name it gives your authority for this piece of paperwork to exercise the way it's supposed to be. So, a sign, as we'll see from the apostles represented their authority given to them by Jesus Christ himself to do uh, the ministry that he gave specifically for them. What does a sign do? Well, let's look and see what signs do in our day. Signs draw attention. You're riding down the road. You see a sign, something's for sale, a house, a car, or maybe you see yard sale, some of you like that, garage sale, and you see that and it gets your attention, right? It's a sign, so it draws attention. And as we'll see today, the signs that Jesus gave were to draw attention, not to the person with the gift. It was to draw attention to him. We have to understand that. That's what they're for. It's a marker. You're driving down the road. You see a location this many miles to the next town, the next city. You see that. It gives a location. It's a marker. It's a marker that they were, as we'll see with the apostles, they were sent. It's a marker as to who they were. uh, uh, and why they were sent. And and then so also it gives instruction. You read some signs that give instruction. Stop simply means to, yeah, real deep in it means to stop. Yield means to go real slow and watch out for everybody else, right? So they give instruction. These signs that the apostles exercised gave instruction to certain people, to a group of people. And so we'll see that today. So we're digging down to understand about a sign and about these gifts why they are no longer for today. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 1, if you're still in 1 Corinthians 12. Here's a very key verse. So, as, as I tell you often, it's dangerous to, to, in most cases, to take a verse and build a doctrine around it. But this is one of those foundational verses that when you read it and understand it, it opens up other scriptures and other things as we're going to do today with this verse. And in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22, the Bible tells this, uh, to, uh, gives us this about what signs are about. For who requires a sign? Gentiles? Are you with me this morning? Who requires a sign? The Jews require a sign. So right there in your mind, as you're thinking or as you're actually writing, something should come up in your mind. We looked at signs we talked about who and what, uh, what, they, what they do and who, who they're given to. So who are they for? They are for the Jews. They're for Israel, right? The signs are for Israel. They're not given to Gentiles. They're given to Israel, okay? So the Bible tells us the Jews require a sign, but it says the Greeks seek after wisdom. And so Jews, the Jews, Israel, they are the ones who needed the signs. And as we'll see That's why they were important for the time. That's why they ended. God worked in different ways with Jews, with Israel, than he did the Gentiles. You agree with me on that? Here's a very, very, um, very, very, um, I think a very, very good way to illustrate that. Are you and I under the law today? Do you keep dietary laws from the Old Testament? Does God still work? Has he quit? No, he still works. He works in a different way with us than he did with Israel. And that's very important to understand when we see this today. Israel as a nation began with signs. He gave Abraham a sign. He gave him a sign of uh, circumcision, the Bible says. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 to 9, God gave a sign to Moses. And that sign to Moses, remember when he stood before Pharaoh? And the the, the serpent, um, he uh, he, he took the... um, he took the rod, the stick he had in his hand, God says, cast it down on the ground, became a rod. He picked it back up, I mean a serpent. It came back up and it became a rod again, remember? That was a sign to them. He said that was a sign that God had sent him for Israel. That was a sign. So that was, that was what God used for, for them. So their nation began with signs. Abraham is the father of, the, of Israel, of the Jews. They began there with the uh, sign of circumcision. Moses, the signs God gave to Israel that God was indeed with Moses and using him. All right. Look over with me to 2 Corinthians 12, if you will. Now, keep in mind 1 Corinthians 1 we just saw. We were in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll go to 2 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 1, which says that the signs were given to uh, the Jews. They were given to Israel. and the Old Testament, that was true. And it's true in the New Testament under the apostles. 2 Corinthians 12, look at verse 12. Paul writes to the believers there at Corinth in his second letter and says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So he, he says there the signs of an apostle, they were wrought, they were worked. They were wrought, they were worked out, they were shown, they were made evident to you. Why? Because in Corinth, there were Gentiles that were part of the body of Christ there in Corinth, but there were also Jews, and as he uh, as he ministered and served throughout the book of Acts, as well as some of the others we'll see in just a little bit, uh, Paul ministered to them, and the signs were done. They were given... To the apostles. They were given for reasons, let me back that up and finish that. They were given uh, to the apostles and they were to prove to Israel that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, that he indeed was the one sent to Israel. Why? Because Israel was so blinded to him. We see that in their religious leaders when they said, um, you know, uh, when they made the deal with Judas. Uh, we'll give you this thirty pieces of silver. If you're going to show us where he's going to be, Judas sells him out. He's betrayed. The religious leaders didn't want to believe on him, most of them. Some of them did, but most of them didn't. And then some of the everyday, uh, average everyday people there in Israel, some of them believed, many did not. And so they were to prove, as Jesus had left heaven to ascend back into, I mean, left earth to ascend back into heaven, it was to prove to them, to, to the Jews, that this indeed was the Messiah. And you've crucified him, and you're responsible for that, and And so he was your Messiah and is your Messiah. Then there's the evidence that the Lord had sent them uh, over in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 13. You don't have to turn there. You write down this reference. The Bible says that early in the morning, Jesus had been praying on the mountain uh, late night, early in the morning. He got up to pray to choose his disciples. And the Bible says that he chose the disciples, that there were 12 of them, and he said whom he also called Apostles. So remember, we've seen Paul said signs are for Israel. Paul said that the, uh, the, um, the signs were given to them and that you've seen these signs from the apostles that they were certainly done. They were certainly um, uh, accomplished. So let's look at some of the, the um, what, what an apostle was. Why were they apostles? First of all, go with it to Acts chapter 1. Back up, leave 1 uh, Corinthians for right now. You might want to put a marker there. Acts chapter 1. And we'll look at uh, two things together right there while we're here, just to save a little time. Acts 1, we'll see that they had to be eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. The second thing, they had to accompany him while he was on earth. Acts 1, verse 21 and 22. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, that's the second one there, they accompanied Jesus' ministry. The first one's in verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John, which is the baptism Jesus received. Remember, he told John, he said, I've come to be baptized. John says, I don't, I don't, I don't deserve to baptize you. You should, you should baptize me. And nevertheless, he was. Look what it says. Beginning from the baptism of John under that same day that he was taken up from us. That's Acts 1. Must be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So they had to see the resurrected Jesus Christ. Remember when he appeared to them on that first uh, Lord's Day after he had risen from the dead that morning? He appeared with it to everyone, minus Judas, of course, but also minus Thomas. And then one week later, the next Sunday, he appears and Thomas is there. Remember, he says, my Lord, my God. So he appears to those 11 uh, minus Judas. Judas had, remember, he had already betrayed him. They had to be sent to Israel. Go with me to Matthew. We're going to look a little bit for just a moment, and then we're going to have to put on the accelerator a little bit. Matthew chapter 10, if you'll go there with me. And then we're going to go to Mark 16, Matthew 10. So Jesus had called them to be his apostles, these disciples, these 12, to be apostles, and he sends them out to do ministry. Look what he sends them to do. Matthew 10, verse 1. It says there that when he had called on them his 12 disciples, and again we saw in Luke where it says he also called apostles, he gave them power over uh, or against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness, all manner of disease. You can skip those verses. Those are their names. Go down with me to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, go not into the way of the Gentiles. Why? Because they're not the ones that require a sign, do they? Nor and uh, uh, under the Samaritans enter you not. Verse six. But rather go uh, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of who Israel. Go to Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles with this, Jesus. This is early in his in his uh, ministry, and right now he came first to them. The Bible says he came into his own. And his own received him not, but as many as did receive him, that's everybody else, that's Gentiles. So first and foremost, he came to his own. He came to Israel. They had the chance. And of course, they rejected their Messiah. But not because they didn't have witness and not because they didn't have the signs. Go into Mark 16. Mark 16, look at verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Now, a lot of people think that this means any Christian. But we're going to find out that he's again talking to the apostles. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. Does that look familiar? Remember he said the evil spirits cast out devils. Speak with new tongues. That's a new one. He hadn't mentioned that yet, but it's to come. Verse 18, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. He gives that promise. So how do you know, Barry, that he's not just talking to every Christian? He sends them out to preach. It says after that, look at verse twenty, and they—who's the they? His apostles. How do we know that? Went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord, uh, everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs. Following, that's for the apostles. That is given to them. And so they go out to minister as they did before Jesus had been crucified. He sent them out in Matthew 10 while he was on earth. Now, after he'd been crucified and risen from the dead, now he sends them out this time with some signs he didn't mention before. And the Bible tells us that um, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 12, we saw from Paul that, the signs of an apostle were wrought or worked out. Now let's look at this, and then we're going to have to put the gas on a little bit. So the apostles were foundational to the ministry in the Book of Ephesians, chapter two, verse twenty. For time's sake, you, um, I'll just, I'll just uh, read it myself. If you don't want to have to turn there, or if you don't have time to turn there, if you want to write down the reference, Ephesians two twenty. The Bible talks about the the church, the body of Christ. It says, and are built upon the foundation. Of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the, the chief cornerstone. When you build a house, you put down a slab or a, or a or a concrete block foundation. That foundation, once it's down, then you go to the walls, right? Then once those are place, then you go with the roof to get everything where it's supposed to be. That foundation is very important. Because on that foundation, that's going to determine over time how well your house does. If you've got cracks in the wood some, or in the wall somewhere or in the ceiling or something because the foundation shifts or, or doesn't settle. Well, this foundation, the Bible says, is on the apostles and the New Testament prophets. Okay, Jesus is the cornerstone. The Bible tells us that, so he's got everything lined up like it needs to be. But let's look at this. So this is what's called the scaffolding principle. Why were the apostles and the sign gifts temporary? You look at a building; they do it all the time on campus, at work. In fact, my my parking place at work got taken because they put a building right there in the last year or so. They're still working on that thing. When someone builds a building, they begin as they begin it, and it begins to go. Especially stories and floors, they have to put up scaffolding, right? The scaffolding goes up so the workers can climb up to the next level where they can go to the next floor. And as they're continuing to work their way up, they can take, bring their tools up, right, and work. And So once that building's finished, what happens to the scaffolding? It's removed. You don't need it anymore. So that's the principle of why the apostles and the sign gifts ceased when they did. They're not needed now because Jesus came first and foremost to Israel, The early chapters of the book of Acts are pretty much to Israel until about chapter 8. But especially when you get to chapter 15, Gentiles are being saved all over the place, including in Israel. And as Acts goes on, less and less Jews are coming to Christ, more Gentiles are coming to Christ. So it's starting to transition if I can use that word the right way. It's transitioning, right? From Jew to Gentile. right, So because of that, they begin to end. They're foundational. Their ministry ended with the end of the New Testament. Once, once the signs for Israel were done, that was done. Also, there were false apostles. In the book of 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 and 14, Paul says there are those that, that, um, that, that say they're ministers of Christ, and he says, and there are also false apostles. That is, someone who claims to be an apostle, and they're not. Why? Because they don't have those signs. Those were given to the apostles. Revelation 2, verse 1 and 2. The first church Jesus writes to in the, in the book of Revelation, he gets John to write to. Revelation 2, verse 1, down through several verses there, he writes to the very first verse, and he says, you have tried them that say they're apostles and are not. And Jesus said this, you found them to be liars. How about that? They said they're apostles and they weren't. Why? They didn't have the gifts. Why? It's getting That's written about one ninety to 100 A.D. The gifts were ending. And so because of that, Jesus says, these people are popping up. They're claiming to be apostles. He said, your church, I want to commend you. You've tried them out, and you found them to be liars. Because someone do, who does that, they're going to start a following for them. And sometimes they're going to hit them in the pocketbook. You know what I'm saying? You have to really be careful with that. And so their, their ministry ended, and there were false apostles. So we see the Scripture tells us, and for time's sake, we'll read all the way down through there and look at all these this morning, but I do want to go over these as we talk about them. The Bible mentions apostles, and we talked about them. They had the sign gifts. In fact, Acts 5 verse 12 mentions the apostles doing also what they call signs and wonders. And so the signs that were done were usually they were wonders because they were miracles, and it got people's attention. That's part of the sign gifts. All right, let's look on. Then there's the working of miracles. Uh, Acts, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, and in verse 28 and 29, it mentions miracles, workers of miracles. In fact, when you read in Acts chapter 4, very early after the day of Pentecost had happened, Peter and John are walking through in Acts, actually it's in Acts 3 and 4. They're walking through uh, around Jerusalem. They find this man begging at the temple. And so uh, they look down upon him, and he's begging for money. He's a, he's a cripple. And, and Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but uh, what I give, I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk, and he rises up and walk, and he's healed immediately. And everybody's in awe. Why? Because Peter and John were apostles, and as apostles, they were given the ability to do these sign gifts. And so they do. Acts chapter 19, verse 10 to 12. Uh, Paul also, we am going to go over there real quick and read this for you. Uh, it says, and this continued, uh, by the space of two years, Paul had been um, uh, talking with and teaching some of the believers there. And all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 11, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought under the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases were departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So Paul was able to do miracles, as was Peter. In fact, by this time in the book of Acts... Paul's ministry replaces Peter's ministry, and you don't see Peter as much for the rest of the book of Acts. So Paul also performed because he also was an apostle, uh, as he called himself, born out of due time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, verse 28 and 30, uh, it mentions gifts of healing. Notice it does not say the gift of healing. It's gifts of healing. Go with me to uh, 1 Timothy, if you will. So again, as Paul writes his letters... 1 Timothy is probably roughly about 60 A.D. And so at that time, remember Jesus had rose from the dead, uh, been crucified and rose from the dead about 33 A.D. And so uh, time goes by and then Paul gets saved and God uses Paul uh, to, to uh, minister and, and to, um, to get the um, to gospel to people and at first to Jews and then later to just mostly to Gentiles. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul writes to Timothy and says this, 1 Timothy 5, verse 23, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. So healing was stopping at that point. Paul didn't say, you know, go find an apostle and let them pray over you and heal you. Now, folks, I'm not making little of it. I believe God heals today. Does he not? Sure he does. I've seen people with sicknesses and diseases throughout my time as a pastor. I've seen God heal them. Sometimes he does it and people scratch their head. How did that happen? I've known people that have have gone into the hospital. People have prayed for them. They went in for some kind of surgery and the tumor before they went in was gone. Can God heal? Are you with me? Absolutely God can heal. He can heal anytime he wants to. He can also heal through medicine. Timothy Sorry, buddy. I can't do anything for you. So drink a little wine, something that will help your your stomach. Get a little had a little, uh, little agent in there, help his stomach. Obviously, the grape juice part of it or something help his stomach. Drink uh, no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. Not often infirmities. I can't heal you, Timothy. The healing part is just going out. It's not. It's not there as it was. Second Timothy chapter four, verse twenty. Very last letter Paul writes about sixty five or sixty six A.D. Right before he's uh, beheaded there in Rome. Closing out that last letter, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at my leadum, what? Left him sick. He left him there sick. Paul was in his presence. Could Paul heal people? We saw in Acts where just the very touch of an apron or a handkerchief, right? He could heal people. Did he heal his friend? Of all people, would he heal his friend? Yeah, but that's going out. The signs are not, uh, are not being seen as time goes by. And it's used for Israel as a group of people. Whether it's a handful of them, as we see in the book of Acts and places, or it's a whole bunch of them, the signs are given for that. So, at the end of his ministry, it was going out. Tongues and interpretation of tongues. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 14, if you will. So it's listed in 1 Corinthians 12. So, um, whenever this actually took place, which I believe it took place by the time Paul's letters were completed, and especially by the time that Revelation was written, look what we mean at 1 Corinthians 14, and verse 22. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, right? Just like with the, 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 the gifts of healings, the, they're for a sign. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophecy serveth not them that believe not, but to them which believe. That is, preaching serves those which believe. So it was given for those who did not believe. So there in Corinth, apparently in their church, They were having some problems, if you read back through this chapter, for lack of time, we certainly can't do that today. But If you read back through this chapter, they were having some problems with people speaking in tongues that shouldn't have been. Um, And there were some that that Paul gives the guidelines, let it be the two or the most three. So at this point, they were still going on, but they were abusing it, which is why Paul had to write to them about this. They were abusing that gift, and so it says tongues are for a sign. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, back up one chapter in verse number 8. Charity never faileth. That is, charity is God's kind of love. It's a love for God and love for people the way that God would have us to love Him and love people. Um, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. So at some point, the Scripture said they were going to. And so by the time we get to the end of the New Testament, they indeed do that. They cease. They are no more, they're given for a sign. And then there's a time that there are no more. Again, folks, we're not doing this to make fun of everybody. We're looking to see what the Scripture has to say. Because, folks, I mean, it may be hard to understand sometimes, but this includes this pastor. The Scripture is more important than my opinion or your opinion or anybody else's opinion. What the Scripture says is the final word on it. What we say or think may come or go. In fact, our opinions change often. And so mine did. There are a lot about this I didn't understand years and years ago, and then I, I, I learned the truth about it, and it sure helped me. That's the way it is. You grow as a Christian. You have to get to these points where you, you understand you grow through that. So let's look at some things. Why do we, uh, what do we apply? How, what do we apply from this? Well, the Bible says that we should understand that the Lord Himself never changes. Malachi 3, verse 6, for I am the Lord, I change not. He doesn't change. He's never changed. He never will change. He's always been God. He'll always be God. But His ways and His methods do change. The example I gave about the law. We're not under the law. We're not to keep the law. Um, the, the, um, the especially like the ceremonial law, we're not to keep that. God doesn't give that to us uh, to keep. So it doesn't work for us, but it did work uh, for, for Israel and God gave it to him. So he never changes, although his ways and methods change. Now we ha- now have a Bible. The Bible says in the book of Second uh, Peter th- uh, 1, verse 13 to 20, Peter talks about the time where he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord and saw him there and talked about how seeing him in person Uh, the importance of that, seeing him physically there change into glory and then change back, transfigured back as they walk back down that mountain. He says, but you know what? We have a more sure word of prophecy. Folks, that's why you should love this book. That's why you should hold this book dear. I hope we never reach a time in our world or in our nation, well, there are some countries in the world, but in our nation where we ever lose this, where we can never pick it up again. There are countries that are that way, where believers in countries that the the Bible's banned, they have to get them underground, they have to get them contraband. They have to find them any way they can. I hope that never, ever happens to us. We need to take that, take advantage, not for granted. We need to take advantage of that, that we have the Word of God. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And then 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18 to 20, all of God's gifts, whether they're temporary, like we saw today, or the permanent ones, like, teaching, like mercy, like giving, like organizing. All those that are permanent, they are all to ultimately glorify God and His Son. That's what they're for. They're to to glorify God and to to build up the body of Christ. Without God's kind of love um, toward God and towards others, gifts are nothing. One last thing as we close. Chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 of uh, 1 Corinthians. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... And have not charity, God's kind of love, for him and for others. I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Without God's kind of love, the gifts really aren't going to mean anything to us at all. They're, they're nothing. So we remember that. So as we see that, we see that for their time, those gifts were very, very important. And we could go into a lot of other scriptures too today, but they were very, very important for the time. They were needed. They were necessary, but they're not for today. So keep that in mind as you study uh, the Word of God. That uh, you know God is is just an awesome God. When He changes the way He does things, that's because He's God. This this morning, this is just this is simply rightly dividing the Word. Is what we're doing. We're taking God's Word and we're going through it and we're seeing. Uh, what God did at the time and why he no longer works that way. Now, I'm not going again, I'm not going to say God doesn't heal. Absolutely, I believe God heals. But there's some that God does not choose to heal until they get to heaven. That's ultimate healing, right? <laughs> You're going to get a brand new body then. That's ultimate healing. And sometimes, like Paul, he had an infirmity in the flesh. We don't know what it was. I think it was probably some kind of physical ailment that he had to live with for the rest of his life. In fact, when Paul traveled in the book of Acts, most of the time he was with Luke. Remember the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts? He wrote those. Luke, was a, the Bible tells us, was a physician. Paul traveled with a doctor most all his time in the book of Acts. God uses them. God uses medicine. God uses these things. He can heal any way he wants to, but God may choose not to. And if he does, like Paul said, his grace is sufficient for us. His grace is what we need. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you for the time to, I know, Lord, this hasn't been a sermon message. It's been more of a study. But I thank you, Lord, as we look at your word and close out finally this this series, at least for now, on spiritual gifts. Lord, I thank you for helping us to understand how you work. And, Lord, to glory in the fact that you're God and that you can do things any way you want to. You never change. The Bible tells us Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. You never change. but the way you work, it does change from time to time, because your, your, your work is towards a different uh, group maybe at the time, such as Jew and Gentile. But Lord, one thing you did, we know that is permanent, and that is certainly the sacrifice of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, how he came to this earth, born as a baby, God in flesh and took our place on the cross and died for us, that we can have eternal life because he died and shed his precious blood and rose the third day, that we can have eternal life in him. We thank you for that today. May the understanding of your word be in our hearts and minds, Lord, in the days to come. And I pray for anyone who's never trusted Christ, that they'll come to know him as their Savior. We ask all this in Jesus' name.